Good morning. Good to see each one this morning. What a wonderful Savior we have in our great God. If you have your Bibles, let's turn together to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. <clears throat> Today we're going to cover a, a, a large section of text once again, and, and not because we need to hurry through this book, but because we need to see this next section altogether. We need to see it as, as one unit. We've been talking a lot lately about faith, uh, but what about the opposite? You've heard me say in the past that the opposite of faith is fear. And in experience it is, but there's something behind that fear. What about unbelief? What about unbelief? What does unbelief look like? And what is unbelief actually? What is it actually? Well, we're about to see. So let's begin at chapter 11, verse 1, and we'll read quickly through these next two chapters. And now the people became like those who complain of calamity in the ears of Yahweh. And Yahweh heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of Yahweh burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to Yahweh, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Taborah, or burning, because of the fire of Yahweh burned among them and the rabble who were among them had greedy desires and also the sons of Israel wept again and said who will give us meat to eat we remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the and the garlic but now our appetite is dried up there's nothing at all to look at except this manna now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people would go about and gather it and grind it between two millstones or, or beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent, and the anger of Yahweh was kindled greatly, and it was, and it was evil in the sight of Moses. So Moses said to Yahweh, Why have you allowed this evil towards your slave? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who gave birth to them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as, as a nurse carries a nursing baby to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these all this people? For they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I, am, I alone am not able to carry all this people, because it is too heavy for me. So if you are going to deal with me, if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. For I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. 
Yahweh therefore said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers, and take them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit who is upon you, and will put him upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it alone. And say to the people, Set yourselves apart as holy for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have, you have wept in the ears of Yahweh, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for it was good for us in Egypt. Therefore Yahweh will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, not twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected Yahweh who is among you. And have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever go out from Egypt? But Moses said, The people who among whom I am are six hundred thousand on foot, yet you have said, I will give them meat so that they may eat for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for, for them? And Yahweh said to Moses, Is Yahweh's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will happen for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of Yahweh. Also he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people and had them stand around the tent. Then Yahweh came down in the cloud and spoke to him and he, and he took of the spirit who was upon him and placed him upon the seventy elders. And when the spirit rested upon them they prophesied but they did not do it again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, the name of the other Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered, but had not gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would, or literally I would, that all the people of Yahweh were prophets, that Yahweh would put his spirit upon them, upon all of them. Then Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Now there went a, a forth a wind from Yahweh, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits over the surface of the ground. And the people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered the least gathered ten homers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against the people. And Yahweh struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was Kibroth Hatava, because they were buried because there they buried the people who had been greedy. From Kabroth Hatavah, the people set out for Hazareth, and they remained at Hazareth. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had taken as a wife, for he had taken a Cushite woman. And they said, Has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And Yahweh heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And suddenly Yahweh said to Moses, Aaron, and to Miriam, You three, 
come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then Yahweh came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. And then both came forward. And he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, indeed clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of Yahweh burned against them. And he went away, but the cloud withdrew from over the tent. And behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O oh, my Lord, I beg you, do not place this sin on us in which we have acted foolishly and in, in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. And Moses cried out to Yahweh, saying, O oh God, heal her, I pray. But Yahweh said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her dishonor for seven days? That would have made her unclean. She would have bore her uncleanness for seven days. Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam shut up outside, was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not set out until Miriam was received again. Afterward, however, the people set out from Hazareth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So here, here we have not one, not two, but three examples of unbelief. And let us all be sure to see exactly how this unbelief is exposed in all three of these examples. Do you see it? How is their unbelief exposed? Complaining. Complaining. Complaining against God. Complaining to God. Complaining against God's people. So let me just go ahead and ask us. Do we, do you ever complain? Do you complain against God? Do you complain to God? Do you complain against God's people? Do you? Well, that's unbelief. It's unbelief. In fact, I really didn't even have to ask that question because... As we know, this is an instructive example of God's people given intentionally by God for us today. And I, so I don't have to ask us if we complain, because here, literally, days, and not many days, just a few days after, just a few days on this same first journey that we just began like a chapter ago, Half a chapter ago, actually. Just a few days after that, at that on the same first journey, that, that God Yahweh in the previous chapters had sovereignly 
uh, numbered and organized and provided for in His perfect wisdom and in His perfect care during the same first journey in which Moses declared, as we heard at the end of the last chapter, and he declared, God, Yahweh, fight for us as they left in the morning, and God, Yahweh, be with us, remain with us as they, as they came to rest in the evening. They've just barely gotten started. They really haven't seen anything yet, and yet already, already they are complaining Unbelief, faithful, faithlessness is already rearing its ugly head. Unbelief, faithlessness is already dominating their lives and bringing ruin and death upon them. Already, right out of the gate. So yes, if we can already see this complaining unbelief in the lives of these people, this instructive example of God's people... Yes, we complain, don't we? We do. We complain against God. We'll see what that means in a minute. We complain to God. I'm guilty. We complain against God's people. I'm guilty. We do. So may the Holy Spirit use His Word to help us, to save us from our unbelief. Here in chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, the first example of unbelief comes to the ear of Yahweh. It's, that's how it's recorded in this text, which means that this, this complaint was vocal. This complaint was, was loud. And notice, this, this complaint comes to the ear of Yahweh. Notice how it comes to His ear as a complaint of calamity. As one they complained, as one who complained about calamity. So in the sovereign and good and perfect care and provision of God Yahweh, the people, both the rabble or the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with the children of Israel and the children of Israel themselves. So what does that tell us? Everyone. Everyone complained against God's sovereign, God's perfect provision, saying, saying, complaining that it was bad and not good. Bad as being struck with some great calamity. That's how they were complaining against God's provision for them. Like they had been struck with some great hardship or adver adversity. And as we see here, this complaining against God against His perfect provision was all motivated by food. Just look at verses 5 and 6 again. We remember, oh, we remember. We remember the fish that we used to eat. Look at that. Free in Egypt. Does that mean that it was without cost to them? Does that, or does that mean that they used to eat it in freedom? In both cases, they have forgotten, haven't they? That quickly. They've just been gone from Egypt for two years and they've already forgotten that they were not free in Egypt. Nothing was free in Egypt. They were slaves under the harsh, cruel taskmasters. Their memories of their past have been corrupted by their greed. We remember the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the and the garlics, but now, notice what it says, now our appetite is dried up, 
our appetite is gone, you know what, what they're saying? We're sick of it. We're sick of it. We have no appetite. We're sick of it. There is nothing at all to look at. Look what they're sick of. This manna. You can hear how they say this. This manna. <laughs> they kind of, <laughs> you know, they kind of do one of those numbers as they say it. This manna. Huh. This manna that God had miraculously, graciously provided and perfectly sustained them in a barren wasteland with for the past two years. This manna. So here in the peoples, and everyone's complaining, what do we see? We see the ingratitude of unbelief, the unthankfulness of unbelief. The people are blinded by their want of more. And do we all really hear their complaint here? Actually, the Lord himself, he writes it out, what it actually is as he heard it in verse 20. Look, look at verse 20. This is, this, is, this is the Lord. Look at the middle of verse 20. You have rejected Yahweh who is among you. And you have wept before him saying, why did we ever go out from Egypt? So this complaint, this unthankfulness, this ingratitude, it, it, it's really this. We would rather be a slave in Egypt than to be free with you, God Yahweh. Isn't that really what they're saying? We'd rather be a slave in Egypt. Oh, we remember how good that was. Than to be free with you. So, saints, could it be that our ingratitude, our unthankfulness of God's perfect provision? And remember, for us, that's all of our circumstances. All of God's provision are, is, is all of our circumstances. God, God isn't missing anything in our circumstances. That's God's provision for us as his children. Romans 8, 28. So when we are not thankful... When we have this unbelief of ingratitude that is expressed in ingratitude. We are really saying, Lord, we'd rather have something else than you. We need more than you. Hmm. And let's, let's be sure not to miss this. This sort of ingratitude makes God, it's clear in the text, it makes him burn with anger. He's right to, right? When he commits himself to, to perfectly provide for us and we are not thankful to him. We, we complain against him. Man, isn't he right to burn with anger? Here he burns, thankfully, mercifully, just the outskirts of, of the camp. And he destroys with fire the people on the outskirts of the camp in his anger. 
But we see in chapter 12, verses 31 through 35, that he also, there's something else, there's more. You kind of have to put these things together as it comes back to it in the text. He, he also answers their lust for something other, something more than, than this manna, his manna, than him, by providing meat for them in the form of quail. And boy, did he. He said, Moses, you think it's too hard for me to provide meat for them? Here, let me show you. And the description that Moses gives us in verses 31 through 32, just conservatively, is that God surrounded the camp of Israel for at least 10 miles around. Okay, a day's journey. Really, these people, they walk more than 10 miles a day. But you know, let's just think conservatively. Think like from here to halfway to Reedsville. On the other side of town, halfway to Reedsville. That's somewhere around 10 miles. God surrounded the camp of Israel with these quail three foot deep. Meaning, they probably what was happening, these quail were in swarms, as quail get, you know, as quail do, they were, they were flying at three mile height for ten miles surrounding the camp of Israel. So they could go out there and, I mean, easily club them, kill them, you know. To the point that, as it says here, that it was, that it was easy, it was no problem at all. For everyone to gather 60 to 70 bushels at a time. That's a lot, right? <laughs> I don't think we probably realize just how much that is. I've seen a bushel basket pick up 70 of them. God is the God of superabundance, isn't He? He is. That's exactly what He provided for them in the way of the more that they that they wanted, the more that they craved. But notice, get this, this is important for us to see because this is an example for us. We have this same unbelief. I guarantee you we have it. I do, I'll confess it, I do. Where we complain against God's provision. Have you ever complained against your circumstances? Yes! We'll be blessed, not lucky. We'll be blessed if we get out of this day without complaining about our circumstances. Maybe we already have. But notice this, because of their complaining and gratitude, because of their unbelief in the face of His perfect provision, what they claimed or what they complained about God's provision is actually what it became. They claimed that it was a calamity. They claimed that it was a curse. And that's exactly what it became to them because of their unbelief. It wasn't intended for them to be a curse. It was God's perfect provision. But they complained against Him. They complained against His provision. And He allowed it to become what they claimed it was. A calamity. Look at verse 33. While the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against the people. And Yahweh struck the people with a very severe plague. Great calamity. So I think it would do us all well to take this example to heart. Don't you? Saints, behold and beware of the ingratitude of unbelief. We could take a whole hour for each one of these, so we're going to have to push, push through them to get to all three of them. 
Then in chapter 11, verses 10 through 17, we see the second example of unbelief. And this time it's Moses who is complaining. So let's be sure that none of us think that we are above all of this because if the man Moses wasn't above it, neither are any of us. Did you notice as we, re as we read, there is a reoccurring word in Moses' complaint, and it's a dangerous word. It's the word I. Look at verse 12. Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I going to get meat to give to all of this people? I Notice this. Verse 14. I alone. Has Moses ever been alone? But here he thinks he is. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it's too heavy for me. So here now, even in Moses, we see unbelief. We see the self-centeredness of unbelief. Moses fails to see the great privilege of being a chosen, equipped servant of God. He, he fails to see the great privilege of having the present help of God Yahweh with him. I'm alone. He's, he's missing the whole thing, isn't he? And he, he is because he is blinded by the weight of it all. He's blinded by the excruciating weight of giving yourself for God and for His people. And it is an excruciating weight. But don't miss, do not miss something that is revealed here. If you would give yourself to God, if you would serve Him and serve His people, do not miss something that we see here. God here responds to Moses' self-centered complaint in the following verses by telling Moses, Okay, Moses, I hear you. Okay. Go and gather 70 men of Israel. Do that. And then in verse 17, he says, I will take of the Spirit that is in you. And he personifies that spirit. He tells us it's a him. Okay? I will take of, of him who is in you, and I will give it to them, to these other men. So see the picture? God, as, excuse me, Moses, as God's chosen servant. Yes, yes, it is a great, great weight to serve God. It will cost you everything. But God has given to Moses a great measure of His Spirit. And who is the Spirit of God? God has given Himself to Moses in great measure. But in Moses' weakness, in the blindness of his unbelief, God, He wasn't enough. As I saw this, I was reminded of the Apostle Paul who begged God to remove the excruciating weight of his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, whatever that was. And, and God respo God's response to him was, Paul, my grace. That's not something inanimate. No, my grace, my favor. No, I, me, I, me, myself, I am sufficient for you. 
You have me, Paul. You have me. I'm enough. Paul, let me. Take your eyes off of yourself and let me be enough for you, Paul. That's what Moses was blind to here. The Apostle Paul was also. He begged him three times. He said, I gotta, I gotta get rid of this, I gotta get rid of this, I gotta. So we're all susceptible to this, right? If the greatest servants of God in the Bible were susceptible to this, we're all susceptible to it. God help us, God save us from unbelief, from an unbelief that blinds us to the reality that our that our God is enough, that He's more than enough. God Save us from the self-centeredness, the eyeism of unbelief. The blinding eyeism of unbelief. By the way, it's commonly believed that this group of these 70 men, that they were the beginning of what would later become the Sanhedrin, that eventually became, quote-unquote, God to Israel and even killed God himself to try to prove that. So you see there is always consequences, sometimes long-lasting consequences to our unbelief. God remove our unbelief. Amen. And then finally the third example of unbelief, the pride of unbelief, which is seen here in Miriam and Aaron's, Moses' own siblings, their revolt against their brother. If you look at that section of this text, their pride and Moses' meekness is contrasted in this example. It seems that, especially Miriam, the emphasis put upon her in the text seems to indicate that she was the leader in this revolt. She or they, they used Moses' choice of, of wives as an excuse to condemn Moses as their God-given leader. They could, see a, they could see his faults, but they could not see the reality of Moses. In actuality, in their pride, blinded by their lust for position, that's what this is about, blinded by their lust for position, they disregarded and refused and even slandered God's own provision for their souls. When, according to God, in chapter 12, verse 8, they should have been greatly afraid to do so. As a matter of fact, it's sort of, as God asks the question, sort of amazes God. He's my servant, my special servant. Why aren't you afraid to speak against him? And unbelief always has its price, doesn't it? In this case, the picture, the price is uncleanness or sin and separation. Miriam was struck with leprosy, which made her ceremonially unclean. She became, if you will, sin personified. And she was put out of the camp, which means she was not only separated from the camp, from the people of Israel. No, it's worse than that. She was separated from God himself. That was the shame of being put out of the camp in your uncleanness. Not just being separated from the people. You were separated from the presence of God who committed himself to you. Who had committed, who was committing himself to you. You did something that, that, that brought a breach in that commitment. That's the shame of this separation. 
So saints, behold, beware of the pride of unbelief. Thankfully, only because God Yahweh is merciful, her uncleanness, her sin and separation was only temporary. It was only temporary. So, let me ask us, these two chapters, wouldn't a good description of them be ugly? They're ugly, aren't they? Man, they're ugly. I, I, would, I, would, I would even describe it as disgusting. In the face of God Yahweh, in the face of His sovereign Lordship, in the face of His goodness, in the face of His perfect and all-wise provision, isn't unbelief, can't we all see that unbelief, the ingratitude of unbelief, the self-centeredness of unbelief, the pride of unbelief, can't we all see that it's ugly, that it's disgusting? Can't we see that? It's easy to see it in this text. It's harder to see it in ourselves. But that's the reason God has given us this instructive example. So we'll look at this and say, wow, this looks like this. I mean, this, you know, this makes you wince. This unbelief. If this looks like this, then wait a minute. Man, if Moses and these people, if they were susceptible to this sort of unbelief, then I am too. It's in me as well. It's harder to see it in ourselves, but don't miss it. God's Word governs our minds, right, saints? Not our heart, not what we feel in our heart. That doesn't guide us. Well, that lies to us, and we're told that it lies to us. Not what we think the world around us, our culture, that doesn't, that doesn't govern our thinking and govern our lives, does it? No, we're, we're told we're not citizens of this world. We're, we're citizens in heaven. God's Word, He's given us His Word. This, His Word is what governs our lives and our minds, our thinking. And so, sure enough, when we see this, we should be able to say, Hey, this is us. This is, this is telling us something about ourselves. Beware. So we can see how ugly and how disgusting it is, but actually it's worse than that. So, yes, we all complain too, don't we? And, and often, I bet as well, right? And we also complain right in the face of God's sovereign lordship, right in the face of His all-wise and faithful and perfect care too, don't we? We, we, all, we all complain. But children of God, have you ever considered what that complaining actually is? What it actually is. This is where it gets tough. Actually, in all three of these examples, these, the ugliness of these examples, the disgust, disgustingness of these examples, can't we all clearly see that this complaining against God's provision, complaining to God Himself, complaining about against God's people, it's all really complaining personally against God Himself. Can't we see that? 
Our unbelief, our complaining unbelief is not just a slip in judgment. It's not just a small infraction. You know, it's not just something that, that everyone does and so we shrug it off. No, our unbelief is a trespass. It is a, a crime, a hell-worthy, judgment-worthy crime against God. It's a crime against His way, against His wisdom, against His works, against the wonder of God Himself. That's what our unbelief is. And don't miss this, saints. In every case here, it caused a delay. Get this. It caused a delay in the forward progress of the people of God. God brought a burning on the outskirts of the camp. You think that might have brought a, caused a delay in their journey? Well, sure it did. Moses had to gather and organize these 70 men of Israel. He had to distinguish which ones were the elders of the family, the leaders of, their, of the families. He had to organize them together and gather them together to the front of God's house. You think that might have caused a delay? Yes. And we know Miriam was put, in, in, put out of the camp for seven days. Again, a, a delay. God help us, God save us from unbelief, right? I mean, have you seen what God has and what He is doing for us, saints of God? Have, have you seen how He has and how He is providing for us? Do you, do you know, have you heard and do you know by faith how He has committed Himself to you, saint of God? He provided His perfect Son to be your Savior he provided that He die and was buried in your sin to remove your sin from you. And now He is risen and he, we hear in God's Word that now in His living, resurrected state, what's He doing? He's ever living to intercede for us as our perfecting perfection. And in Him, because of Him, God's, God works everything for our good and for for what? What is our good? What's that good that he's talking about? Our ultimate conformity to the very likeness of Christ Jesus himself. That's our good. That's where we're headed. So no way for one, no way should we ever want to find ourselves against God, right? No way should we ever want to find ourselves against His goodness, against His gracious, perfect care for us. No, no way we should ever put ourselves in a position in our unbelief, in our complaining unbelief, in which we, are, we pose ourselves against the commitment that He has made to us, for us. No way, right? And for two, no way should we ever want to be the cause for the delay. No way should we ever want to get in the way of our forward progress to be like Christ. That would be a shame, would it not? I want that to hurry up and happen, don't you? I'm ready for that to happen. For the ultimate completion of that to be done. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I don't want to get in the way of that. I don't want to be a, a cause of the, of the delay of that. But that is what our unbelief does. Just like we see in this example. So yes, God help us all to... Stop complaining. 
And it'll take God's help. You and I cannot do it on our own. Well, you can commit to do it right now. That's it. I'm never complaining again before we get out of the service. You can't help it. Here it comes. Right? I don't think I'm the only one. Here it comes. I see something happen. I see, you know, something happens with me. Something happens with somebody else. And, all, and I begin, I mean, it, 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 it enters my mind. I can't stop it. We need God's help. That don't give us an excuse. No, we ought to recognize those things as soon as they happen. And put those things in our, out of our mind. I've tried to remind myself and my wife and probably you too. When those things come to your mind, stop complaining. Pray. Pray for those people. Pray for that circumstance. Pray. Pray. Go before God. Stop complaining. That ain't going to do no good. Go before God and pray for those people. In love and in care for their soul. Or for your own soul. For your own Sanctification and you know our circumstances, whatever they are, they are brought by God to sanctify us. They're not Him not knowing what He's doing. They are Him knowing exactly what He's doing and exactly what it takes to sanctify sinners like us, to, to conform us into the image of Christ. Are you hurting? Is there pain? Is there misery? Are there people in your life that wreak havoc in your life? Yes, those are all things that God is bringing in His purpose, in His time, in His perfect care for you to make you more like Christ, to conform you into the image of His Son. So stop complaining and pray. Not in a complaining way, by the way. <laughs> this hit me in the face. Yeah? Pray, but then you start complaining to God. God, you, you know how good I am, and still you're doing this. What in the world are you doing? Not that way. Hmm. So help God help us to stop complaining against His provision. Stop, help us stop complaining against to God, against God, really. And God help us to stop complaining against His people, but even more, God save us from the heart that is behind such complaining that is exposed here for us. God save us from ungrateful, self-centered, pride-filled unbelief. God save us. Here's the ultimate reason that we should ask God to save us, that we should want to be saved from it for Christ's sake. God help us. Let's pray.